Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, L.B. Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. If you are within the sound of my voice and you haven't visited beenawake.com slash subscribe, I need you to follow me today. It's the price of your email address. I know I've gotten some new subscribers on the podcast and I am so grateful to you guys. But if you could please give me your email address, there are articles for everything that I put out. Everything I talk about on the show today, I also write about. It's a great reference. <sighs> busy week, busy week. Hopefully it was for you as well. Um, podcast is coming out a little later today, later than normal. Uh, that's just because I wanted to be bright and bushy eyed for you good people. Figured if I'm going to do this show, I should always give it my best. So, you know, drinking my coffee. It's Saturday morning and we're going to go through the week. Man, Monday. <laughs> I, you know, I said last week. I, seriously, like, you know, this is me basically predicting the future. But I said last week we're headed for a violent summer. And that is not that prediction is not going anywhere. And in fact, it's just becoming more and more true. And there is a there's a great reason for it. And I, I'm using the word great here in, you know, kind of a kind of a specific way. The reason why things are going to get crazy this summer and why there will be massive unrest is because that's the kind of country we are now. That is the country that the United States of America is. Now, one thing that's worth noting, because, mo because some people are going to hear this, since those people are going to say, well, I haven't seen any violence. You know, I, I'm in one of those cities. I'm in one of those cities, and I haven't seen any of the violence that you're talking about or that I see the people that I disagree with on Twitter retweeting. Fair enough. Here's my answer. Violence always occurs. Why do you expect everything you... Well, here's the real answer. You suffer under an egalitarian delusion. And part of that egalitarian delusion, right, is that you expect if something is going to happen, that it will be distributed evenly and equally throughout an area. Therefore, if a city like Chicago experiences violence and you live in a neighborhood far away from where that violence occurs, you can, relatively speaking, you can with all certainty in the world, based off your direct empirical experience of your senses, you can walk down the street and say, I don't see any violence. I've never been mugged. I've never seen any gang violence. And I live in Chicago, so I don't know what people are talking about. The great Thomas Sowell talked about this and covered this in, his, um, in one of his most recent book dis books, Discriminations and Disparities. One of the, you know how people find the golden ratio in nature, right? A Pareto distribution is very similar, a bell curve, whatever. There is only, it's, only, it's something like only 3% of the Earth's surface experiences hurricanes, tornadoes, so on and so forth. And let me ask you, do, is Tornado Alley the same thing as where hurricanes pass through? No, 
you don't see the same blizzards in Boston as you do in Des Moines. The mistake is believing that everything is going to be equally distributed. So when I say we will have a violent summer filled with many violent protests and riots, because that's what we call them now. We call riots protests in America. When I say that and you come back with, well, I haven't seen it. Okay. You're not looking closely enough and you are purposefully using your egalitarian delusion to justify the fact that you're not going to pay attention to what's happening around you. And that's fine, by the way. If you want to choose ignorance, you are more than welcome to not listen to this show because this is for a show for people who don't choose ignorance. This is a show for people who choose inquiry over dogma. So by all means, never listen to me again if you're somebody who's not going to understand what I'm about to talk about when I'm talking about it as we, as we go over this. We are headed for a massive summer of unrest. We have had lockdowns for over a year, right? So people have been locked away, which we know is detrimental to human uh, mental health. And in general, this is a studied phenomena in criminology and in politics that when the weather gets better, you see a spike in violence. When the weather gets better, you will see a spike in violence. Everybody knows this if you live in a major city, especially if you live in a major city like Chicago, where there's still a lot of violence that we have to contend with. When, you, when, when it moves into the summer months, people are out, the weather is better, you feel like you want to get out more, and you know people who are out there gonna go, that are going to do harm are going to go do harm. This isn't... Um, this isn't me criticizing anybody. This is an observation of fact. And again, just because you live in a nice neighborhood doesn't, doesn't lessen the truth of what I'm saying. It just means that you're purposefully, you're purposefully blinding yourself to what other people are going through. So Monday's article, Monday's article for this week was, um, uh, the headlines of today, because I didn't really have time to get into one in particular. Um, but I, you know, I, we wake up Monday and you see a lot of these headlines. And, uh, you know, so let's kind of go through them and talk a little bit about talk a little bit about where the. Um, talk about where these trends are heading. So Duante right shooting officer grabbed gun instead of taser body cam video released. Horrible video. Isn't it? Do you ever worry? Because I do about desensitizing yourself to violence. Because I've watched, I, I try not to watch too gruesome of things and I try not to watch all the videos, but I definitely do attempt to watch these, you know, these viral clips because you kind of have to if you're going to comment on them. But I worry about what that does to, um, to our psyche when you're constantly exposed to this sort of violence, because if for no other reason, then it doesn't, there's this, like, there's the weird thing where it doesn't seem that violent, right? Because most of these things are a quick shot and then, Oh shit. That's, that's kind of what happens in a lot of these things, right? It's, there's a struggle and then somebody pops off a shot and then there's a lot of worry 
and then they try to save somebody's life that they never should have interacted with in the first place. But see, after this was the other headline I saw. So after the Duante, um, don't don't Dante, don't whatever. Um, after that shooting video was released, the Red Sox Twins game was postponed. They in, they instituted curfews. And the and and we still have the Chauvin trial going on right now. George Floyd's killer, alleged. And I said last week, and I still think there's a. It, I think the sources that I follow. Let me put it this way: I want to make sure I'm speaking precisely. The sources, because I haven't been watching the trial myself. The sources that I follow have said that there is enough evidence of reasonable doubt. And if you don't understand that reasonable doubt, what reasonable doubt standards look like and why that matters, it goes something like this. Reasonable doubt matters <laughs> because you can look at something and think something horrible happened, but then in a court of law, you can still prove reasonable doubt. If you're listening to the show, it means you're able to hold these two thoughts in your mind simultaneously. You don't have to agree that Chauvin should get off to understand that he likely will. And if he doesn't, I think it's highly likely that he wins on appeal. So effectively, you could convict him now and just delay the inevitable. This is what happens in these trials. This is why... Well, this is why we're, we're, we're so quick to react and we're kind of, we're, we're conditioned to react to in the social media climate. We're going to get into that a little bit with this Adam Toledo shooting, which, you know what, let's talk about that now because that's happening here in Chicago. Um, you know, recently in Chicago, there was a 13 year old who had a weapon and who was shot by the police and very, in a very, very quick flurry. And when I first watched the video, I didn't see the gun. I watched it a few times, uh, thought I watched it closely, looked for a gun, looked for the flint of something, but I didn't. What I saw, and this was in the unedited body cam footage, so I wasn't even watching. Apparently, ABC News, um, apparently ABC News uh, was, apparently they, apparently they put something out that like edited the video and meant, it, and meant that... Um, and it made it seem that you couldn't see the gun at all. But I honestly didn't see the weapon watching the unedited footage from the, uh, like the civilian Chicago police accountability board or whatever. So full disclosure there, I was very quick to blame the cop. And frankly, I still will blame the cop because he's the one in the position of power. Isn't he? I've been, <laughs> I've been toying in my mind what's like what, what's like a more satirical take I can take on something like this. So if you're interested in that, make sure you're subscribed because I will probably write that article next week. But I think what I do think that what um, there is a relation between what we saw up in uh, Minneapolis, not only with the Chauvin trial, but less so with the Chauvin uh, with, with the George Floyd killing. But um, with the uh, or homicide, I guess I should say. But with the more recent one of Duante Wright. And so I wrote on Tuesday. And uh, by the way, if you don't see emails, let me know, because I've been having some trouble with the subscribe or just make sure you subscribe and then you're going to get, um, you know, subscribe. There's a discount for the next hundred days or so. 
July 31st, a lifetime discount will be going away for the, uh, for the, uh, for the newsletter. So I wrote this piece, what obesity and sloth mean for your rights. I'll credit Jeff Deist for repopularizing the idea that law isn't a matter of what is written down, it is a matter of what is enforced. While perhaps there was a time in America where the law was enforced as written, that's honestly in there just as a, as a placebo. <laughs> Today, this is not the case. Now, anyone can be turned into an unwilling participant of lust for, power, for the power politicians hold. In episode 41, I showed the listener what a fascist sounds like. I discussed the important idea that some people will only follow the rules, and moreover, they will expect you to follow them exactly. When people like that get into a position of power, watch out because they're dangerous. Let's, 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 let's belabor this point for a minute, shall we? Because at the beginning of last episode, which if you didn't listen, you definitely should, I played the audio of a flight attendant kicking a family off of a spirit airlines flight from like Orlando to New Jersey. And the woman is acting. I'm sorry. You have to get off the plane. It's not my decision. It was her decision. It is all of our decision every single day when we wake up, at least for those willing to hear this message, but there is a certain type of person. And this is very important for you to understand. This is, there is a certain type of person who will only follow the rules. There is a certain psychopathy that people manifest and, 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 in, and implement in their behavior. That means if you tell them to do something, they will do it. More importantly, it's not so much you telling them to do something. When their boss tells them, if a two-year-old isn't wearing their mask, you get to kick this person off a plane. When the media surrounding them says if anybody doesn't wear a if anybody doesn't wear a mask exactly how we say even though you can wear a cloth mask that isn't doing anything if you aren't wearing a mask exactly as we say then we can do whatever we want to you we can kick you off of a plane we can tackle you in a in a store this is separate from the idea of um freedom of association you understand this is deeper than the legal points that you could make of well you're supposed to follow the instructions of a flight attendant you're supposed to follow if only they followed the instructions of the police none of this would happen okay let's take the non-fatalist incident that recently occurred in virginia now according to scott adams if you pay attention to this and you watch the whole video, you'll kind of see that maybe this guy was looking for a fight. Okay. I don't think that changes any of the points. So, so it's possible that this lieutenant was in an area and was driving his car in such a way that he was looking to get pulled over. Let me, let's take all of that for granted. He was looking to get pulled over. He was looking to cause an incident because he knew that it would reflect poorly on the officers. Let's take all of that for granted. And let's see if it changes my arguments. So remember, remember, if you watch the original video, it looks like, you know, the cops are just pepper spraying him. If you look at the whole context, according to Scott Adams, who is a very, you know, decently reputable source. He said that, you know, the guy was filming the whole time and he kind of had the excited look of somebody who was going to make things difficult. Okay, let's take that for granted. 
So Lieutenant um, Caron Nazario had the unfortunate luck to cross the path of former officer Joe Gutierrez, who would rather pepper spray someone in the face than tell him to get out of a car. There are a lot of angles. Here's there. So there are many angles to take. This is the one that I did. And let's start with a question because a question is better than is sometimes better than an answer. Why don't we expect police officers to be in fighting shape? Is, I think that's a fair question. Do you think that's a fair question? Why don't we expect police officers to be in fighting shape? See, unlike military service, my understanding is that for most police departments, you don't need to keep any sort of physical regimen to remain on the force. We all know the stereotypes of an obese cop that likes donuts. Right, Chief Wiggum from Simpsons. Setting aside the mockery, though, why is it departments aren't churning out well-toned de-escalation machines? That's, I feel like that's another fair question to ask. Why, is it that de- why don't we expect cops to be in fighting shape? And why aren't police departments churning out well-toned de-escalation machines? This is worth pondering. But if you go to the main media sources, they're not actually going to grapple with this issue. Talk to anybody who is a fighter or anyone in the larger 2A community, especially those who conceal carry. And de-escalation is always the name of the game. If you know how to fight or if you carry concealed, you know damn well your first duty is to not use your skills to cause unnecessary harm. There is a certain confidence people who know how to fight display, and it's not the actions of Gutierrez in Virginia or the currently unnamed officer in Minnesota who accidentally pulled her firearm rather than her taser. The average police officer does not prevent crime. They file reports and more often than not act like predators to the communities they purportedly serve. It's called policing for profit. Not everyone can be a jujitsu master. I understand that. However, given the high stress job we hear about them undergoing, wouldn't it make more sense to have well-trained and toned bodies go through that kind of stress? So now we're at three good questions. Why don't we expect police officers to be in fighting shape? Why aren't departments churning out well-toned de-escalation machines? Wouldn't it make more sense to have well-trained de-escalation machines if they are going to go through such a high-stress job? I don't pretend that what these three questions and the answer to them would solve the real issues, issues with police, because that's a matter of changing which laws are enforced or becoming so rich it doesn't matter. See, I started writing again and doing this show because I want to have that conversation that most people pretend they want. And it starts with us really looking at what it means to serve and to protect. If you can't reach your toes or run a mile, how can you expect to keep the peace? Four good questions. Why don't we expect police officers to be in fighting shape? Why aren't police departments churning out well-toned de-escalation machines? If it's a high-stress job, wouldn't it make sense to have them churn out well-toned de-escalation machines? And if you can't run a mile, how can you be expected to keep the peace? Sloth and gluttony are two of the seven deadly sins. 
I think the police writ large are guilty of both. They don't do a whole lot to stop real crimes of rape on college campuses, but I have seen them arrest college students for consuming alcohol. They don't care to catch thieves, but they'll give you a ticket for going five miles an hour over the speeding limit. They won't stop murderers, but they'll make sure you go to jail for a long time if you sell a plant. Am I being a little hyperbolic? I don't think so. I wrote perhaps in the piece, but I don't actually think I'm being hyperbolic here. Unions, as I've written before, protect the worst elements of police and other trades. The good cops, so-called, are made bad every time they pretend the thin blue line matters more than what is right. There is a laziness, a sloth, when police forces teach escalation by any means. There is a laziness, a sloth, when they know they're protected from prosecution if they arrest the wrong person or break into the wrong house or even kill the wrong person. Or kill your dog. For being given so much power, they don't even have to, they don't even have to give the trade-off of maintaining a high standard of physical and mental health. Their gluttony occurs in the physical sense, overeating, you know, the cop with the donut meme, but also in the way they extract the hard-earned dollars from the communities they serve through parking tickets, speeding tickets, and basically any interaction. Beyond that, of course, they are funded through your tax dollars. But as, they, as these videos show, they sure as hell don't work for you. So that was, those were four good questions worth, worth pondering. And if you, have a, if you have any answers to them, I'd love to hear them. Drop me a line, beenawake at substack.com. Why don't we expect police officers to be in fighting shape? Why aren't departments churning out well-toned de-escalation machines? If it's a high-stress job, why aren't they doing that? And if you can't run a mile, how can you be expected to keep the peace? Let's talk about the simulation, shall we? I'm not sure if you've heard about the simulation theory. There are a few proponents out there, Scott Adams and Elon Musk amongst them. And uh, the question is the degree to which our reality, so-called, is actually simulated. I do not have any final thoughts on the subject. By definition, what we're talking about here is something as unknowable as the existence of God. What I do know, or what I do think, is that the more we live online, the more reality is by definition simulated or a simulation. So the more we live online, the more reality is by definition simulated. One of my favorite passages from Nietzsche's The Gay Science is as follows, and it's, uh, it's number 57 to the realists. Every feeling and sensation contains a piece of this old life and some fantasy, some prejudice, some unreason, some ignorance, some fear, and ever so much else has contributed to it and worked on it. That mountain there, that cloud there, what is real in that? Subtract the phantasm and every human contribution from it, my sober friends, if you can. If you can forget your descent 
your past, your training, all of your humanity and animality. There is no reality for us. Not for you either, my sober friends. As you practice skepticism, you learn that things that upset you the first time often have an element worth exploring. If there is a reality, who is to say what it is? Are the words we use enough? Are our senses to be trusted? Of course, Nietzsche's words were written in a time before the internet, before humans really understood that even something as fundamental as companionship could begin and flower virtually. That is to say, not in reality. How many of you have an online friend? How many of you have a friend that all you do is talk online? Or, you know, it could be, you could talk online or like over the phone, but the point is you're not in physical proximity to them. What's real in that? There's something about walking around in the world today that makes me feel like I'm in a video game. I went to a few different restaurants this past weekend, three in the suburbs, four in Chicago, and each one had a higher level of crazy COVID compliance. So normal-ish, level one. Instead of going out downtown on a Friday night, I drove out to the western suburbs of Chicago from whence I came. It was like the beginning of a hero's journey where you didn't have to worry too much about the rules. Technically, I had to wear a mask for entry, but inside of the bar, patrons were walking freely. We went to a few places that night, and as the hours progressed, the need for the dumb rituals we've accumulated lessens. I felt it felt normalish. I will not lie to you. <laughs> so you know, it's funny because a few of the I, I think a few of the people that were there also listened to the show. Um, so it was it, it was pretty cool. I mean, to just kind of be at a bar and see people kind of walking normally and acting norm, somewhat normally, right? You know, okay, we're going to sit. We're going to have a drink. We're not going to worry about our stupid masks. We're not really going to worry about strangers walking by. And then, <laughs> you know, at the end of the night, and it, it was a late, it was a late night, but at the end of the night, we ended up at a very, uh, you know, <laughs> place. You know, as close to a club as a place like as a, as a city that I could that I was in could be. And what was fascinating to me was when the club closed. Right. And so they start herding people out, herding. All right. Time to leave. Time to go. The place is closed. We all got to go. And so we're literally being herded like cattle out the gate. For some reason, they didn't have both the doors open, but whatever. We can leave that to the side. But there were still people inside of this, inside of this press of flesh. You understand? It's like we're literally, you know, it's kind of like when you're walking and you can't really, you wouldn't be able to stretch your arms out to the side in this kind of environment. So we're all just kind of, we're all just kind of, you're trying to walk out. People are bumping you. It, 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 like I said, it was, it was like normal life going to a bumping nightclub. Kind of an annoying experience. I don't like to be jostled. <laughs> But inside of that, inside of this crowd of people, there were, there were those wearing their mask. See, 95%, I'd say 90, because you have to include the staff, I suppose, but like over 95% of the people in that crowd 
weren't bothering to wear a mask as they walked out of the nightclub. But then there were still people that were. We have become so conditioned. We, I'm not. <laughs> They're individuals, members of the herd have become so conditioned that they don't understand the cognitive dissonance at play. You have just been in a nightclub for the last two hours, but on the way out, you are going to wear your mask because you are a good person. So that was level one. Level two was outside in the corner, um, which this was all day drinking on Sunday, which I don't do that often, but it's fun to do. I met with the same friend to hang out for a bit. We were at a popular spot in a popular area. We sat outside and had a couple of drinks and nobody really bothered us. You had to wear a mask when you walked inside to go to the bathroom, but that's pretty standard. So I was in a pretty busy area of Chicago, a lot of bars, a lot of people. And what was interesting to observe was the degree to which when you have people in groups, whether they were wearing a full, whether they were wearing a mask or not. See, because the mask is binary, right? You're either wearing it or you're not. And if you're in an in-between stage, you're basically not wearing it, especially from the, especially from the mindset of people who think you should wear a mask at all times. And I, I don't wear a mask. I have a bandana. And that's with the exception of flying and walking into customers. Uh, I pretty much, I only use that. And it falls off my nose all the time. And, you know, it, it's enough of a smokescreen that people don't bother me, which is all I'm looking for. But it was interesting to see the people walking around. You know, you could still kind of get up and maybe walk around your table. But then, you know, if you walked inside, then you had to put your mask on. It's <laughs> these are rules, right? And so you're going to follow the rules. It's the same way when you're taught as a kid, don't touch that. Don't poke that. Don't stick your finger in the electrical socket. These are rules. And so you're going to follow them because most people will follow the rules. You know, when I talk to people about this stuff, because um, level three was going inside, which again, it was, it was more interesting because one of, the, one of the places we went to was kind of like a, it, it's not a real dive bar, but it has a very intimate feel to it. And, but what they had done was they had removed all the bar seating. And so you could only sit in the booths. And you had to get up. They wouldn't come to you to take your order. You had to get up and order at the bar. And they had plexiglass all around, and you had to wear your mask. Even though they had plexiglass all around, you had to wear your mask as you were approaching the bar. Now, I don't know if it's different at night. This was during the day. And, you know, frankly, these businesses are worried about being shut down. And, you know, you could give them a wink and a nod, but they don't know whether you're an agent of the state or not. And you don't even have to be an agent of the state. You could just be a freaking Karen. And you could get a place shut down and have these people lose their jobs. Thankfully, a lot of these people, a lot of those types of people tend to stay home. I've noticed in general when I'm out that most people are just looking to have a good time, which is awesome. And is frankly, I'm not the, I'm not the biggest one for crowds, but it is awesome to see people just wanting to act like humans. <laughs> <laughs> like humans wasting a day away day drinking to celebrate something with their friends. That is wonderful to see. But let's talk about the boss level care and COVID crazy. So like later in the day, we had already been to three or four bars and had a few drinks. It was getting time to eat. 
and I hadn't had much food that day. Um, so, you know, it was drinks had been had and it was a very pleasant afternoon, if I do say so. Personally, I had gotten to the point where I didn't exactly trust myself to be principled. By that, I mean, I had consumed a few too many beverages. Um, and, but we, you know, my buddy said, oh, we should go to this place. I'm like, okay, they have a good burger. Sounds delicious. And we had to wait a bit to get seated. And so, uh, and then, but as we were kind of getting seated, we had the rules made clear to us. And they were very, what I think, I think the proper term is COVID conscious. You understand? They were very concerned for your health. And so therefore, you had to wear a mask unless you were eating or drinking. And if the server came to your table to check on you, you should put your mask on like a good little person, like a good slave. Please wear your mask when you're not eating or drinking and every time your server comes to the table. I'm going to be honest with you. If I was sober, I probably wouldn't have eaten there. I would have said, let's go. I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> and, you know, and maybe if I wasn't that hungry, I wouldn't have worried either. I probably would have laughed and walked away. Instead, I'd sat down and dutifully raised my trusty bandana every time the NPC waitress came to check on us. For all my brain knew, I was being tested by some kind of otherworldly overlord to see what, what I could take and if I would comply. Everywhere else, everywhere else I went to that day and over the weekend, I, I felt a sense of humanity. At this place, however, the staff seemed like robots doing the will of some fascistic god. Now, the burger was good, but I'm not going to go back. If you pay attention to this newsletter, if you subscribe with your email address at beenawake.com, if you listen to this show, you are interested in leveling up your perception of reality. And you understand, hopefully at this point, that what reality is, isn't quite up, isn't as clear as you might think. Can you think of a time where you performed an action and then wondered why you bothered? Because I sure do. That mountain there, that cloud there, what is real in that? Subtract the phantasm and every human contribution from it, my sober friends, if you can. Oh, God, when I read those words for the first time, they changed my life, truly. What, what's real in a mountain? This is, this is the meditation, right? This is where Nietzsche is trying to take you. What is real in a mountain? Go ahead. Describe a mountain to me. I'll sit and listen. Describe a mountain in your mind. Now, don't use any words because those are human creations. You can't use any colors because those were made by man. What is real? is also determined by man. <laughs> what is real in a mountain? If you remove everything that a human being has ever said about it or done or visited to, what is real in a mountain? Does reality, here's another way of asking the question. Does reality exist without a human being to observe it? Does reality exist without human beings to observe and record it? 
you might reflexively say yes. In fact, you know, many of you probably do. Probably will. But it's not that simple. It's not as simple as to say, well, of course reality exists. Because if we're going to envision a world without humanity, there is nothing to say about that world, is there? We are the observers. We change the nature of the world every time we observe it. It's a terrifying notion for a lot of people. I think, I think in part because a lot of people would prefer things to be easier. And it's a heck of a lot easier to think of the world as being preordained than it is to think of the world as something we create. And that's okay, because the people who think the world is preordained aren't going to listen to this show. Last article for this week, y'all, comes uh, it's just an episode of the Jason Stapleton program, which I love, uh, Wealth, Power, and Influence with Jason Stapleton. Um, the larger conversation, and you know, I was recently on, I was, if you're, uh, if you're looking for more content from me, check out the Tower Gang pod. I'll put that in the show notes page. Tower Gang Power Hour. Uh, if you don't know what towers are, you, know, you, can, you can find, they'll, they'll give you an answer for it. It's a fun little thing that people are doing on Twitter. But I was on that, talking shit. It was fun. Hopefully some of you are listening now. Um, and then I should be going on Nick Ashley's show soon. And I have which I'm very excited about my interview scheduled for James gentleman of the blackbird podcast on Sunday. So I am very excited to pick up where we left off. Now, why am I mentioning this is because this is something of a community. It's this little community that I've found here in cyberspace and a lot of good guys and gals. And it's been a good time. Um, and, and so uh, the reason why I like wealth, power, and influence with Jason Stapleton is because I think he is a beautiful example of what applied liberty is. Now, I am doing some stuff with the LPMC right now, but that's not all I am, nor will it be all I am. And it's not, and it's frankly has nothing to do with this show. The show is about exploring ideas and, you know, like I said, leveling up our perception of reality. It's about inquiry before dogma. But what Jason talks about a lot is how you need to build your wealth, power, and influence. And if you're not starting with that as a liberty-minded person, then I don't, you know, then you're not doing much. But here, here's a little segment from the show where he talks about the importance of community. Back on a sure footing. My point is this. Being wholly and completely responsible for yourself, true autonomy, the type of stuff that other libertarian and liberty-minded people talk about but never do, requires risk at times. More important, it requires an iron spirit. It requires clear conviction of what you believe and why you believe it. I talked uh, last episode about the that most people are, are, are holding so tightly Actually, I didn't. No, I gave an interview. I'm sorry, I didn't. I was giving an interview. It'll be out uh, next week or something. And I, she asked for parting bits of wisdom. And I said, just, just, just try, right? I, I don't know how else to say it. I feel like most people in this world are clinging so tightly to the scraps that they've managed to accumulate. You know, that 
nice hundred thousand dollar a year job, the you know the three bedroom two bath house on the quiet cul de sac, and the two nice cars that they got in the driveway, that they they never really challenge themselves. They end up living in some version of mediocrity between total failure and their true potential. And I said, I don't want that for anybody. I said, you're capable of more than you think you are. And building that sort of iron will, that iron gut, that that strength of conviction doesn't come all at once. He didn't build that. He, that just didn't suddenly appear when his whole world came apart. It was built slowly over time as he continued to take more and more risk and get more and more comfortable with dealing with the stresses and the struggles that come from having great wealth. And There's, um, I don't know what kind of life you want to live. I would like to think, if you listen to the show, you want to live a life that means something. As so, <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? I, I believe that you should want to live a life that means something. And if you listen to the show, then you are that kind of person. I think that's the difference right there, by the way, between an active and a passive voice. <laughs> I, um, I would consider myself somebody who took a back seat in his own development for, for too long, for too long, for reasons that maybe one day I'll get into, I let other people control my, their, I let their perception of me be the only perception that existed. And, you know, as Jason was saying, he doesn't want, you know, he doesn't want people to live a life of mediocrity. I don't want people to live under the impression of somebody else, especially somebody else who doesn't have their best interest at heart. Because that's the only, that's the only time where it's a problem, right? If you have somebody who believes in you and who wants you to achieve the most things out of the world as you can to achieve your highest potential, then that's not really a problem. See, the problem is when you're, perception of who you are as a person comes from somebody who doesn't want that. It comes when you, you start to, and it, and it happens, frankly, as you get older, when you start to realize that some people's perception of you won't change. And it's very easy. Like he was saying, I listen, ignorance is a choice and you can choose ignorance and therefore never listen to the show again. But if you want to level up your understanding of reality, you can go to binawake.com slash subscribe and join me. So you can choose ignorance, but then, you know, you should just turn this show off. Because if you, and if you choose ignorance, you are part of the largest herd of humanity. You are part of the herd and you will be okay and safe. You might also be led to slaughter, but, you know, up until that point, you will be safe. I've been thinking a lot about what I'm doing. <laughs> that might sound that might sound a little conceited, but I don't care. I've been thinking a lot about what I'm doing, having a show like this, expressing ideas the way I am, talking with other people who have a show, even just talking with my friends the way we do. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is everybody capable of it? I think many people are. And I think, 
you know, even if it's 1% of the world, that's still tens of millions of people, right? I mean, my math might be off, but these numbers aren't meant to be absolute. They're meant to be relative to give you, a, to, to paint a picture. There, I think we're actually building new networks of understanding, right? We're building, we're actively, those of us who, if you're listening, and if you're listening to the show, you're a part of it. Those of us who are listening to shows like this, producing shows like this, we are building the new sense-making network of the future. The question comes, how fast can we develop it and how, and how easily can the bad actors clamp down on it? I might talk about this another time, but I do think we're heading to a world that is post-state. And by post-state, a post-state world means a dissolution of the nation state. Now, I, I understand that that is a very deep idea. And if, you know, if I haven't engendered enough trust with you, you're, not, you're just going to reject that outright. Stick around. This isn't, this has nothing to do with anarchy per se. I, I, I just think this is, I think this is where we're headed. If you like what you heard today, go to beenawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.